In today's bonus episode, join us as real estate heavyweights have a chance to go some extra rounds into this week's topic. Hey everyone, I'm here with Susan Rizover. Hey Susan. Hey Jen. Hey, and Susan is with um, Cincinnati Modern out of Cincinnati, Ohio, and you specialize in really cool mid-century modern homes. So we'd love to hear your take on what you think a listing agent should know about a home or what you guys do differently to learn about your homes. Yeah, like I think pretty much everything we do is a little bit different. So, I mean, the reason I got my license 17 years ago was I really felt like this was a really certain type of house that didn't have a voice. Like Mm. when we were looking at houses years ago, we would try to explain to agents what we were looking for. And, you know, they would just show like like a modern house, like built in the fifties. And they were like, show us a Tudor, like didn't get it at all. Yeah. So I kind of started doing research back then, you know, I'm like this, you know, amateur sleuth. This was well before, you know, internet research became, (laughs) you know, made things so much easier. So I would, Actually, you know, and it was at a time back in the 80s when most of the original owners of the homes were still alive. Most of the architects were still around. So I just started talking to people back then. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, these houses have fascinating stories. Because even at the time, the types of houses we represent were pretty avant-garde at the time. And, you know, it's like, who were the people that built these? and, And what was their story? So I kind of started uncovering some of that stuff a long time ago. And I was keeping notes and I was talking to people and I didn't really realize at the time that nobody else had really taken the time to do this or I don't know, cared about it. It wasn't really in vogue back then like it is now. I mean, now you hear mid-century modern all the time. It's a buzzword, you know, they have reproductions at Target. Everybody has it, everybody wants it or they think they want it. But at the time, you know, when I started piecing this history together, it's like, wow. And most of the architects and builders that did these, they, you know, stopped doing it because they really went out of fashion and people weren't buying it. And they were pretty deep. When was that? Because they were doing them in the 50s and 60s, right? Exactly. So going through the 70s and 80s, I think that's when it really went out of fashion. So, you know, think something now that's 20 years old, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's dated, but it's not quite retro, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So we, we, you know, we, when we, I was just always attracted to the style. So that was where my interest came from. And I, you know, to me, it seems like this stuff's classic. It's not something that comes and goes. So it, when it circ- when it came back full circle and, and got really popular again, and I would say that was probably... I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe for the last 10 years, like the word really people's vocabulary, you know, there were early adapters, early adopters back then that that were following us before it was the cool thing to do. I mean, I just thought, you know, I, I always thought I was weird and this was, you know, (laughs) kind of my passion. And then all of a sudden it starts snowballing and there's people following this and there's people all over the country doing it. So I really feel like I started doing it at the right time because it was just the perfect storm. You know, we have a ton of houses like this in Cincinnati. They were in areas where people generally want to be because they're Mm -hmm. in that first ring suburb level around the city. Um, The internet made it really easy and accessible to get information and to give information. So we started Mm -hmm. building our website, Cincinnati Modern, 17 years ago. There's a ton of information, just historical data on there of houses that I've researched and things that we've sold. So 
do a lot of the sellers do a lot of the sellers that you work with know the history of their house or are you doing a lot of the research well it's 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 funny because we have through the time that we've been doing this dealt with a lot of original owners which is oh really information yeah that's they or they've gotten the house from the original owner and it comes with this wonderful ephemera that they have the original architectural plans or a lot of the stuff was the the Enquirer and the Post both had architecture or decoration writers that would write stories about these houses when they were new right so I've been able to look up a lot of that I mean I would go back like to the downtown library and the microfiche and pull up these old Cincinnati (laughs) Post articles because you loved that didn't you I mean (laughs) So, you know, you could tell. I mean, I grew up like reading Nancy Drew books. I'm like this total amateur sleuth. So I would sleuth things out before it got easier on the internet. Now I have a, a subscription to newspapers.com. So the stuff that did get digitized, I can go in there through keywords and find stuff out. So some people know history of their house. Some people don't. I mean, I, we sold one last year in Madeira and we had actually sold it to the people when they bought it, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago. 12 years ago, something like that. And I thought it was a certain, I thought it was a Pease house and Pease was like a, like a kit home builder that did around. And it turned out, I I did some looking on it and I went through the newspaper.com thing. And, you know, the longer you wait, the more information gets uploaded into these sources that wasn't available before. And I found out it was actually a builder called Shoals that did the house. And he was a builder out of my hometown in Toledo. And he did a lot of like California type ranches all over the Midwest. And this happened to be one of his. And I'm like, and I had sold another house similar to that on the West side of town and didn't realize at the time that the, you know, the connection between these. So part of it is just people are curious. Part of it's getting a, giving a house a pedigree. Like when you have information about your house, yeah. And then that's yours to hold on to and pass on to the next person. So that's, you know, that's kind of how we see it. It's like, we're giving the information and it's giving a house that may otherwise have been overlooked. It gives it a pedigree. If it's not, you know, a notable architect or a notable builder, it didn't come with that information and we find stuff out. It's just, it's really cool to know. That's true. And that's a lot different than like, if you're selling or representing a, a house, that's kind of like a cookie cutter, you know, maybe if it's, if it's right. not finding, digging a little bit deeper and seeing if there's something there that can interest right. Yeah, that's really cool. So if, if people wanted to learn like more about Cincinnati Modern, do they just go to the website? Yeah, CincinnatiModern.com website. Okay. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of historical information. You can dig pretty deep on there and stuff and put in keywords cool. and, and find information that, um, you know, we try to keep it accessible to people because we want people to know. We want them to know what they have and appreciate it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Susan. Sure. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Rachel Real. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Jen. How are you? Great. And she is the uh, managing broker for Rachel Real Realty out of Chicago, Illinois. And Rachel, we were talking about how much about the house should a listing agent know? What do you think? I think that the listing agent should know as much as humanly possible about the house. So the way I approach a new like list, all the dead bodies buried, like stuff like that, bodies, right? <laughs> all the secret places you can hide naughty children, the whole thing. Right. Um, <laughs> so what I usually do with a seller before I meet with them in order to try and avoid a two-step 
listing presentation if I don't have if, if I don't have that opportunity is to email them a worksheet ahead of time. So okay. they ask them all the details about the property, the age of the mechanicals, nice. when it's on updates, all kinds of things. It's about four pages long. And the last question on that on that sheet is when you bought that, think about when you bought this house, what made you buy this house? What attracted oh, you? Oh, that's a great house? question. Which is really helpful when it comes to trying to market the property. So yeah. asking them what drew them to the house. And typically whatever drew them to the house is the target buyer for the property. Right. And so then I take that information and weave it into the MLS uh, description of the property. Use that's that awesome. Are you, um, would you be open to sharing that? Your... Sure, absolutely. I'm in the process of updating it now too, just to kind of match some rebranding and all that kind of stuff, but I'll totally email it to you. Oh, perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. Is there, I mean, besides the, so you're, you're going beyond really the MLS stuff because there's a lot of stuff. It sounds like that you learn that's not really going to be in the MLS. Exactly. The, the MLS, they're, they're getting better about adding more and more space to the, to the descriptions and what you can put in there. Now we, we just have to read it as realtors. Right. That's all. Because realtors do not read anything. <laughs> <laughs> so our MLS also has a link on there where you can attach extra documents. So once okay. I have that worksheet, I put it into more of a, you know, like a presentation and then add that into the MLS so that a, a, oh. a buyer or an agent can download that and look at all that information. So I assume you're taking out things that are... Right. So stuff that's not pertinent, you know, if they redid their kitchen 20 years ago, I'm probably not going to talk about that because... But Rachel, it was only 20 years ago. (laughs) When you painted that room 20 years ago, I know it was awesome. (laughs) I always um, said that I want like a hologram in the house. So then when you come in, because there's a lot of stuff as agents, like we can't say, right? But like some of the stuff, it's, it is relevant to the property, but so I think the hologram should be like in the seller's voice. (laughs) <laughs> and like saying what they want to say that we can't say. Right. And we, yeah. And I imagine that maybe people probably, you know, at this point with all the recording devices in a house, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Right. <laughs> well, a house and going, Hey, don't forget about this. I know holograms are really expensive. Like I looked into it at one time. I was like, Oh, that would be costly. Very expensive. <laughs> but maybe there's a, <laughs> I do find too, that asking for that additional information up front a helps me do the CMA a little more accurately. So I sure. can kind of get a little bit of a picture of what I'm walking into um, so that if I can't do a quick spin through and then go back, I know whether or not they have animals. So I can maybe account for the fact that they might have an animal odor, um, yeah. you know, all kinds of different things. Um, but typically once you have a buyer that's kind of interested, they're going to start asking a lot of questions and then I don't have to get pummeled with, you know, 15 emails. Oh, how about this? How about that? What about right. this? I can just say, here's the document. It's in the MLS. Go ahead and download it. Share it with your clients. I don't brand it for that reason. When I put it in the MLS, I just leave nice. it unbranded so that they can feel free to forward that. without. So it's kind of like as part of the property disclosures or something like that. Exactly. Yep. I just link it all together so they have no choice but to grab it. That's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your thoughts on that. And we look forward to the that worksheet that you yes. put out. I know people really like that and find it helpful. No, it's, I tweak it every, you know, every time there's something new that comes up, I'll go back and tweak it a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. the bulk of it has stayed pretty similar. It does. It seems like it would answer a ton of questions. It does. It does. Yeah. So I can put that whole list together and then really you're not having that, that buyer's agent doesn't have to come back 10 times and ask a dozen more questions. About right. All the that things makes that sense. Yeah. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, Hey, thanks a lot for being on. Have a good day. Yeah. You too. Thanks. Hey everybody. I'm here with Sheila Cahoon. Hey, Sheila. 
Hey. Hey. And she is with EXP out of Michigan in the southeastern lower part of Michigan, right? Correct. Excellent. And so we were talking about what do you think, uh, what are some of the things that a listing agent should know besides like the basics of the house? So I feel like the listing agent should really be sitting down with the sellers and discussing the history of what they experienced when they lived there, kind of telling a story of their life, the memories and things like that, that they had at the home Mm -hmm. so that they can kind of give the buyers um, that they come across kind of like a feel for the home more than just, uh, you know, a two bedroom, three bath, you know, type of house, you know, give that extra layer of connection to the house. How do you think that that should be like conveyed to the the buyer? Um, I think you could put it in a very short story, maybe talking about the neighborhood, um, possibly talking about the school district, mm-hmm. possibly talking about the county and all the activities that the county or the city has available mm-hmm. to the families. And I think it would be dependent on the buyer, obviously, yeah. with the buyer, if it's, you know, just a couple and they're, you know, maybe downsizing, then you could, you know, spin it one way. And then obviously if it's a family, and, you know, they have a couple kids or something, you could spin it the other way. But well, I, I think telling the story allows you to, you know, kind of bring them in, kind of make them right. think and imagine what it would be like for, to live there. Well, we could, you could do like a virtual tour where it's like the story is the overlay in the oh, absolutely. seller's voice or in your, you know what I mean? Like the seller told me that blah, 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 or the seller said that they enjoyed whatever in this room or. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you did a virtual tour or even if you just did a video and you shared it, you know, on YouTube right. or, or whatever your platforms are that you share it, definitely having that overlay of a story. Yeah. I like really it. It could enhance. be written and audio, which would be nice. Oh my gosh. I can picture like the buyers going through the house. It's like a museum. They have like their old school headset on, you know, and maybe there's like <laughs> a arrow through each of the rooms and showing them like... <laughs> That would be cool. I would love to, I would love to see the video of that person watching the video of the house. (laughs) It would have to be like some kind of Walkman though, you know, like the old school tapes where you like have to put it in and close it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now we're dating ourselves. (laughs) It would be awesome. Well, that's a really good point. And I really like that idea. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to see how people incorporate it and probably incorporate different pieces depending on the buyer that's coming in. But the more you know, then the more you can help sell the property. I imagine that's your main point, right? Well, I think when you're listing a house, everybody sees the two bedroom, two bath, Mm -hmm. you know, big yard, whatever. But, you know, talking about the city and the counties and what they have to offer the families or the couple, you know, what the restaurants are that are around there or what walking area or activities are around there, Mm -hmm. I think just brings in more for them to relate to than just uh, talking about the house itself. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. (laughs) You too. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Kate Bridgman. Hey, Kate. Hey, Jennifer. How are you? Great. Um, And Kate serves Cincinnati, Ohio. Tell me, Shepard. And we were talking about what do you think that the listing agent needs to know about the listing? 
So we should definitely know the basics. Uh, (laughs) Right. How old the roof is, what the mechanicals are like, anything that's on the property disclosure that has happened within the past five years, anything major that might've been before that, you know, if there was a structural issue, like 50. Like if it caught fire. Right. I mean, just those, you know, those kind of things. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there who, especially first time home buyers who are very nervous about what they're doing and Mm. they'll ask very strange questions. I know that I've had people, you know, lament that they can't like test a house out for a week before they buy it. Oh my gosh. What would that look like? Well, I don't exactly. I mean, I, I just don't even know how you. It's would like do an that. Airbnb, right? I'm like, the, I'm like, there's people still living here. Do you want them to go like stay at the Hyatt for a week while you hang out here? And one of my buyers, she was a first time home buyer, and she was looking in Norwood probably about like four years ago, and she was like, "Well, do you have any idea what kind of sounds this house makes at night?" And I just kind of looked at her. And I was like, I don't know, maybe just some snoring, soft moaning, and an occasional mm. night fart. Like, what do you nice. mean? <laughs> I don't know how to answer a question like That's that. That's a weird question. Yeah. I mean, I get that, you know, as somebody who stayed in Airbnbs and hotels, and it sometimes, you know, you're at night, it makes house sounds or. Yeah. You know, something that you're just not used to because you've never been there before, but it's not like, you know, you're an Amityville horror and it's going to be like something, you know, that's awful that you're going to be like, okay, I have to, I have to return this house. I can't live here. You know, I wonder if she did like live in a haunted house or something. It was like freaking out. I think she, you know, she was just a very nervous person and, you know, she found something she loved. She's been happy happy. We actually sold it last year and she and her husband moved into a bigger house. So she's, you know, now used to the process and not scared of house sounds anymore, but it was seriously <laughs> like, luckily she's a very good friend of mine because I answered her and she just started laughing and she's just like, I'm being ridiculous. I'm like, just a little, just a little, <laughs> it would be kind of cool though. Like, let's say there is right. something weird that goes on and like the sellers recorded. And when you get there, you can like play it. Right. I mean, there's all sorts of weird things that happen a few years ago, probably about four years ago, uh, when I was still doing a lot of a partnership with Emily Valentino, mm-hmm. she and I were called to a house in Mount Adams that some people had inherited from an uncle. And he had passed away in the house and had been there for quite some time oh, no. before he was discovered. And Emily was running late. So I decided to walk through the house with these women. And it was like three of his nieces or something like that. And they all worked in healthcare. So they, I guess, have stronger stomachs than I do. Mm. But we started walking through the house and we got up to the room and they're like, well, this is the room that he was found in. And I'm like, okay. Okay. And they're like, well, it's, he was there for like four weeks on the floor. And I was like, okay. And then like, I opened the door, got a whiff, saw the spot and quickly shut it. 
and just went downstairs and was just kind of stunned, you know, like they didn't clean it up. They they're like, we have to call in a professional service to clean you up. You the do. They should have but done that. Before you bring me over, like, why are you showing me this, you know? And so then I'm kind of just downstairs and stunned and Emily gets there and she's like, all right, I'm going to do a walk through the house. And before I could really get the words out, she started going upstairs and then I'm following her. And I was like, that's the room he was found in. And she opened it before I could stop her. And she just like, like closed it real quick and just <laughs> kind of turned white as a ghost and we both went downstairs oh my we God. didn't get the listing and we were okay with that yeah you right know, no kidding kind of, yeah it was so weird and do just, you think that you like okay let's say you got the listing okay so then yeah. are you disclosing all of that to I would buyers? have to I would have to I would be like you have to put that on there like first of all you have to replace that floor like that you can't you We know, have to professionally clean it one yeah you gotta replace then, the floor for sure right like I mean and then we have to tell people that he I had passed away I mean I can't not disclose that to someone yeah you know I don't, I don't know think I think it depends on each state but I don't think in Ohio it's like technically required but right. with it being so small people already know usually Right. And it's just something that I don't think there is any kind of, you know, law that I would break if I didn't tell people about it. Yeah. But because it was so weird and such a kind of like dramatic situation. Right. I I would have to tell people. Yeah. I have to be like, you know, the former owner passed away in here. Right. And he was here for quite some time. You know, I wouldn't go into like the gory details of what right, like we found it. Yeah, like, right, right. And she was still yeah. coming out as we were. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, cool though. back to yeah. your uh, client's idea about renting the house. What if there was like some type of virtual reality for each listing? I think it would be cool, but how would you do night sounds? I mean, I'm not because sure. Was, I don't know. Yeah, that would be like, eight hours of just listening to the audio of a house yeah I know I just had a client who backed out of a house because she couldn't get over how loud the floors were on the second floor when you walk through so So, yeah I mean you could possibly do a walkthrough with audio instead of like music in the background that would be awesome like (laughs) this is what it sounds like this is what it sounds like when you're walking upstairs exactly that is so funny (laughs) well thanks a lot for being on Kate I really appreciate it thanks for having me Jen see ya see ya hey everyone I'm here with Amber Zaragoza hey Amber hey Hey, and she's with um, Cincinnati Historic Homes that serves uh, Greater Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky. And we were talking about what listing agents should know about homes. And specifically, you guys do, I mean, obviously you do historic homes. So tell me a little bit about your process and, and what you guys think is important for when you list a home, what to know about it. Yeah, um, I think that when we when we list some of our more significant historic properties, one of the parts of our process is to uh, do a little bit of research and document mm-hmm. some of the more unique factors of the home. And then part of our listing strategy is that we blog it and 
in cases of homes that are like historically very significant, we will send it out to some of the historic home websites like Circa oh, cool. that, uh, cir- yeah, they, they like circulate the historic home around like further markets. Yeah. And I think that's really important to do now because we are seeing obviously like a lot of people are capable of working from home and that, yeah. um, that grows. And I think that especially moving forward, that's going to be an important factor for Cincinnati and its growth as um, we have a lot of really incredible housing stock built by significant architects mm-hmm. um, that is really affordable when you look at it compared to other parts of the country. That's um, true. I never really thought about it like that, but you're right. Yeah, we, we were like one of the first, like, I mean, we, our city's been around for a long time when you compare it to other cities in the country. Yeah. Cincinnati is very old, especially compared to the, like other cities in the Midwest within mm-hmm. a few hours of us. So mm-hmm. the houses are appealing. And if you get them out there and you get them in front of a wider audience, there's a growing chance that someone who doesn't even live here will move for some of these houses. That's cool. What can yeah. you think of one house that you particularly liked that had like a really cool feature? Yeah, we, so one of my one of my favorite houses that I've sold is a historic home on Auburn crest. And this is going to be a great example of why you write it down, Jen, because I can't remember the architect's name and that's actually embarrassing. (laughs) We won't judge you. (laughs) But there's a blog post on the house because my brain is a file folder. (laughs) Where, um, if somebody's interested in the blog post, how do they find it? It's CincinnatiHistoricHomes.com. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, there's a blog tab. Nice. That is so awesome. (laughs) What if you, if you're showing, because you do other, when you do buyers, you'll do like, you won't just sell historic homes. Like you sell other homes too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, the historic homes is just a, it's a focus that our, group has. We just make it a practice of understanding more about how older homes work versus, mm-hmm. you know, newer construction, which can be a lot simpler. Yeah. A lot of times it actually isn't. But I think we've all kind of gained a level of knowledge and understanding of what things um, are alarming in a home that, you know, one of the one of people's favorite terms to throw around is like it's not up to code. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not fine. Right. Um, Especially in the context of a home that was built in the 1880s. And so I think that's a big part of our specialty is understanding how um, systems evolved through the lens of a, of a homeowner. And, you know, I always take the opportunity when I'm out with with my buying clients, um, to learn from their home inspectors. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually on an inspection yesterday and, um, when they bring stuff up, you know, it's just a little bit of asking more questions um, mm-hmm. and then doing a little bit of background research. Um, we were talking about lead lines, lead um, water supply lines yesterday. And nice. um, the inspector, yeah, the inspector was able to show me like the coolest little trick to identify one. And it's literally just like a solder mark right before the water oh. meter, if you can see it. So just little things like that. I think it's just heightened curiosity throughout the process that allows us to 
gather more information. Are they though, when you have something like that, like the electric is not up to code or whatever, is it difficult for the buyer to get insurance or no, because it's an older home? I do have insurance agents that I like particularly. Um, my, my agent that um, does most of my insurance, mm-hmm. um, he was also a really curious person and he works with companies that have that have older homes as like part of their risk portfolio. Okay. Cause that's all insurance is, is one person likes one particular type of risk and one, right. one company and another company likes a different type of risk. And so you mm-hmm. just have to find the company who is like, well, you know, will tolerate. My understanding is that as long as the electrical systems are relatively intact, you're good. You can usually tell when somebody has been through the house and has like updated part of it. Yeah. And you have, part of the house updated that's when you really kind of have to like do more research there needs to be further investigation or you know red flags you know because you have if you have like half new wiring and half old wiring that's all still <laughs> running like right we have problems like, right that might be an issue that's <laughs> yeah. awesome well we really appreciate you coming on thanks amber have a yeah, good day of course. it was nice to talk to you <laughs> We hope you enjoyed diving deeper into this week's topic with our real estate heavyweights. If you're interested in becoming a featured heavyweight, please reach out through our toe-to-toe podcast Facebook page.